Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1407 entitled Punaways. Our <laughs> <laughs> uh, podcast title is Potaways. You know, if you're on a good thing, stick to it. <laughs> uh, I'm Rob Jan here. And Megan McHugh. And today we are going to have a chat about another one of those little sort of niche Marvel series mm-hmm. that has been and gone. Yes. But we thought it would be worth a retrospective mm-hmm. because basically it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a good little gem and I think unfortunately didn't get quite enough eyes on it first time round. So we're going to draw some attention to it here today. So it's Runaways, also known as Marvel's Runaways. It's kind of promoted as both. So this is one that you found, Rob. How did you stumble on this one before we delve into the details? Well, I was kind of familiar with the concept of the Runaways from the Marvel comic books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... What happened was I was watching Cloak and Dagger, which we've covered on the show before, another one of these small, now defunct Marvel TV shows, Mm -hmm. and I watched that and found out that there was a crossover episode of that will feature in the Runaways series. So I thought, oh, okay. And I thought maybe I better see if I can catch up with it because there's actually quite a few episodes of Runaways. Nice. And also because Ryan K. Vaughan the creator of the original comic book, has form and very good form, but we'll get into that. Yes, yes. So I'm glad the crossover did its job then, throwing your attention to another show because that's usually Mm. in the biz how they get you to check out a different show. So let's delve into it. So it's Runaways. Now, if you want to check it out, it's on Disney Plus here in Australia. It is a Hulu series, so that's kind of who made it. But all of the Hulu shows you can see on Disney Plus because that's where they're streaming here in Australia. So it was created by Josh Swartz and Stephanie Savage. They're also the showrunners of the show. Now, they've got some chops in the teen show area. So I don't know if you would have checked these out, Rob, but I certainly have. They both worked on The O.C., and Gossip Girl, some very uh, classic ensemble teen shows. When I sort of saw that in the research for this, I was like, ah, it makes sense because The O.C. and also Gossip Girl are quite well known for having a decent amount of attention on both the teenagers and the parents. So the parents are characters Ah. and they have their own storylines and Runaways is no different, but we'll get to that. So Josh and Stephanie were both fans of the comics. I'll tell you some more details about the comics in a minute, but they really wanted to make a show that centered around teenagers. You know, the problems they faced, it took them very seriously and they were indeed life and death. And also where the teenagers could begin to question the decisions of the adults around them and learn that maybe their parents are human as well and not so perfect, let's say. So the show Runaways is kind of, just to give it a bit of a bucket, is uh, it's coming of age, teen story, bit of family drama, 
But there's also superhero action, there's science fiction, there's big tech, all kinds of different threads through here. So as you mentioned before, Rob, it's from the suite of Marvel television series that kind of predates the latest entries like Hawkeye, Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, so on. So this sits within kind of the young adult suite. So it's Runaways and Cloak and Dagger. Then there's also what was known as like the ABC Marvel series, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter and Inhumans. And then also similarly, the Netflix series Daredevil, Jessica Jones et al. So we've kind of got a few different streams happening here. And as you were telling me, and I went and checked up on it, Legion. Yes. Yeah. And Hellstrom as well. And these are all like under the the main umbrella of the old Marvel television. Yeah, so Jeff Loeb actually used to head up kind of Marvel television wing and then he has since been sort of superseded by Kevin Feige has come in and decided he would like to take the reins of TV and incorporate it into Phase 4. So that's a little bit of background on the garden where these seeds have been planted. Was actually going to be a film. So Runaways, there was scripts in action. Brian K. Vaughan was involved in some scripting. There was directors attached and so on. But then the Avengers film was quite successful and Marvel actually scrapped the Runaways because they wanted to pull more focus back to Avengers and what they were working on there. And then the movie kind of disappeared, unfortunately. But was revived on Hulu. So Hulu commissioned the show and it actually came out originally in 2017. So as you mentioned, Rob, it's been and gone. So there were three seasons of the show and it has since completely wrapped up. So if you want to check it all out, it is there available on Disney+. Plus. So, Origins of Runaway. So, it was originally a Marvel comic, first published in 2003, written by Brian K. Vaughan and the art was by Adrian Alfona. So there was 30 issues in the original run. Vaughan actually left for the last few issues before it was cancelled. And then it actually was revived again. So it ran sort of early 2000s. And then on September of 2017, the Runaways were revived by Rainbow Rowell, who is like a young adult fiction writer, and Chris Anker. And they also worked on like a Runaways reboot, and that one ran for 38 issues. So it's had a couple of different lives. Now, Brian K. Vaughan, now he does have chops. So he has been the mind behind the End of Days comic, Why the Last Man, which also got its own TV adaptation, the political dystopia Ex Machina, Runaways, the Urban Lion story, Pride of Baghdad, the space opera Saga, and the coming-of-age sci-fi Paper Girls, which is also out now on Amazon Prime. So that one also has its own TV adaptation. So these are all pretty solid entries in, like, the comic and graphic novel world. I think Saga was actually my very first review that I ever did on Zero G. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Massive throwback. So Vaughn has dipped a toe in writing for TV as well. He was a writer on Lost from season three, and some argue he helped revive the series into sort of its final run. And he was executive producer, tapped on the head by Steven Spielberg himself to write and executive produce Under the Dome, the adaptation of the Stephen King novel. So he had a hand in that too. Now, when it came to this Runaways series, Vaughn was consulted. He sort of co-produced the first couple. He had a credit on the first couple of episodes. And then he did endorse kind of the vision that Schwartz and Savage, the two showrunners, you know, the style and how they had adapted it. He was kind of happy with that and I think let them sort of continue 
on. So that's Runaway, sort of from its origins as a comic. And then, yeah, dropped here three seasons. Yeah, sort of completely flew under my radar. And it's a bit of a shame, as we'll soon see. I will mention that the music I was very pleased to see was composed by Siddhartha Kozla, who we heard from very recently when we played his Emmy-nominated score for Only Murders in the Building. On that musical note, let's hear the main title theme for Runaways. Hmm, broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 R FM. SOS, SOS, Mayday, help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! It's a very edgy bit of score, that, isn't it? Mmm. Sets the mood nicely, because I think while the tone of the show is serious, it doesn't take itself too seriously. So it's quite engaging without being too dark, I think, which fits the bill perfectly for this kind of teen sci-fi energy. Now, the Runaways as a superhero team, Mm -hmm. they never actually call themselves by that name as such. I mean, you know, they know that they are runaways, as we shall find out. They actually eschew the sort of normal tropes of superhero team-ups. In fact, they despise them a little Mm. bit. Their rallying cry is kind of like, don't die. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty solid one. On that note, we'll give you a little bit of the basic premise. So now I've only dipped a toe into season one so far, but I know, Rob, you're pretty far along in this. Yeah, a couple of episodes into season three. Nice. So you will have seen a bit more of the plot arc, but I'll tell you a little bit of the groundwork. So it basically kicks off and you follow six childhood friends who grew apart as they grew up, but also for different reasons, as we'll find out more. Not everything is as it seems, but they do reunite when they're teenagers. They're six very different people and they've kind of drifted apart due to not just having different interests like as happens in high school but as we learn there's been some tragedy in the past and also just a bit of a struggle trying to figure out exactly where they fit in the world and how to get over what has happened to there used to be seven of them I don't think that's a spoiler it's pretty clear in the very beginning actually the reason why they all band together again this is kind of the pitch of the show it's against the common enemy which is their shady parents <laughs> so their parents are all friends and have been and that's kind of how they all started spending time together as children just because you know you spend time with the kids of your parents friends but the parents yeah they're involved in some questionable stuff and I think as we get a bit of that set up we see everybody's quite Uh, affluent and well-off. Not that everyone who's well-off is evil, but we sort of start to think, hmm, there's something a bit interesting going on behind these shiny mansion walls. And there's also some interesting kind of smart home integration and things like that. So we sort of already get these little seeds of the tech and the different things that are kind of possible in this world that we're in. So as part of the show, we follow not only these six childhood friends, but we also delve a bit into the lives and the relationships of the parental characters as well. And they're all just as diverse as the teenagers themselves. Mm. From my perspective, a couple of halfway-ish through first season, not very sympathetic. Mm. (laughs) The parents are just hot messes. They're all over the place. I'm like questioning their motives every step of the way. 
and things just seem to get more and more sinister. What I've found is each episode is raising more questions than answers for where I'm at because we're exploring past tragedies, mysterious organizations, strange creatures, strange science, and some emergent powers as well. So this show's kind of got everything in a way, like it's got the futuristic tech, this kind of weird science vibe as well. We've also got some kind of shady religious cult going on as well. Yes. And, you know, there's a show that this reminds me very much of, Mm -hmm. say, Superpowered Desperate Housewives. (laughs) I actually get that, like the kind of suburban drama with some weird freaky stuff over top. And any share house teen show. Yeah, I think the kind of teens from different worlds who don't get along with their parents thrown together for a joint goal. You're right, it's kind of a suburban drama that just happens to also be about superpowers, aliens and all kinds of other things. (laughs) And also Buffy, obviously. Oh, yes, yes. I would say I think the realm of this one, from what I've seen, you might have more insight, Rob, having been further along. The realm of this seems a bit smaller than like the entire Hellmouth or like all kinds of wibbly wobblies coming from everywhere. They're introducing some different story threads that are kind of a bit kooky. They are indeed, actually. By the time you get to third season, you realise that what's going on is the tip of an iceberg. Mm. And, of course, you have to remember that this is actually a Marvel show. Although it seems like they are waving the Marvel content fairly lightly over it. For example, you'll see Roxxon Energy, which is a big (laughs) multinational company, and that gets its logo in this series a couple of times. Also, the Dark Hole, Dark Dimension, as we see it, not in Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, but in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) There are some other things as well as the obligatory Stan Lee cameo and a few shout-outs to places like Wakanda actually. Mm, Yes. But it is one of those that kind of sits on its own in that it's quite a contained universe. You're right. It's not flying the Marvel flag per se in terms of flaunting its connections with main MCU and other shows, except for its clear crossovers with Cloak and Dagger. Well, it Um, is set in Los Angeles. At one stage, they say, oh, we never get those out here. Like we never get the supers out here, which is kind Mm -hmm. of cool because a lot of that sort of stuff has been New York kind of based. Yes, yeah, yeah. Part of the big driving force for me at the moment is getting to know these characters and also as they keep poking and stumbling upon more and more of like the secrets that are being held by their parents. So let's run through a couple of of them. So we've got Alex, who kind of seems like the centre, the heart, the very sweet one who just wants everyone to get along and, and come back together. He is clearly quite smart. He is, how can I explain him without kind of spoiling it? At the moment, to be honest, he doesn't have much of a personality from what I've seen, except for the fact he's very smart and just seems like a solid good person who is who's just always trying to find out more about any given situation. I'm happy to spoil their powers and their place within the group because it's been a while since their show's been out and finished. All right, fair enough. He's kind of the leader, isn't he? But his mm. power per se is kind of more just his intellect and ability to lead the group. Yeah, he's the strategist. He's the computer hacker. He's yeah. the guy. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
Yeah. Is there a young African-American boy, Renzi Fearless, plays the character. Renzi is probably best known for playing Camilo Madrigal in the wildly popular Encanto animated movie. Uh, look, he's the guy who will drop the Battlestar Galactica references and the Star Wars. Yeah, he's a bit of a yeah. nerd, but he's obviously also got the chops to lead the group as well. I can already see that role emerging for him. Alex's parents, well, one is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And one is in real estate. Well, that's his new kind of profession. Mm. His old profession was gangster. And his wife is a lawyer, and she actually got him out of jail. Mm. Partially, there was another deal involved there, but I won't go into that. His parents are totally ruthless. Absolutely. Very self-interested but there's also you can sense a bit of especially because of the dad's background he sees how far he's come everything he's built and gained because they live in this huge mansion he's very successful and respected and obviously when you gain that kind of position you don't want to lose it and especially the mum she's a little ethics light from what i can tell angel parker plays Catherine wilder and ryan sands plays jeffrey wilder they are part of a group called the Pride, or just yes. Pride. And it's got a cover story. It's basically a very philanthropic organisation. Mm-hmm. They do good works, you know, soup kitchens, fundraising, that kind of thing. But it's all really a cover for their nefarious deeds. Yes. And they are very nefarious indeed. You know, this show is not called Runaways for no particular reason. It is actually to do with teens being kidnapped Mm -hmm. and the parents are, well, they are involved in that. So we're not just talking about sort of a comedy handling like you would see with the movies Descendants. Oh, yes. The Disney one where they have the kids of people like Maleficent. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's not quite like that. This is real deal stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So both of those are particularly evil people. We can continue on. So we've got Chase. Chase is played by Greg Sulkin. Now, Greg Sulkin we've seen before. He is a British-American actor who appeared as a character called Adam in the story The Mad Woman in the Attic in the Sarah Jane Adventures, a spin-off of Doctor Who. Now, Chase, he is the kind of jock character. He's clearly someone who's gone a bit from being not as socially popular to being more socially popular because he's like typically handsome and like athletic or what have you. Hmm. But he is covering up quite affinity for science himself. So you learn pretty early on that he's got an interest in these things and possibly that's genetic because his dad is also a bit of a tinkerer himself and a bit of a tech inventor. And his dad is played by none other than James Masters, popping up with his actual accent, not the British one this time that he used to play Spike in Buffy. I haven't seen too much of their actual father-son relationship, but you get enough hints that it's not smooth. And uh, you also get a little bit of a hint between the relationship between Chase's parents is not It's interesting their dynamic, let's just say. So we've got the overbearing father character and then we've also got the mother character who kind of comes off as meek, but I actually early on I'm like, hmm, but is she wielding more power than she gives off? I don't know. Well, because she was a 
student who went for his university, wherever they were, with the James Masters character, she backed off and became a housewife. But she's actually a force in her own right. So she gets a story arc too. Mm. Um, it's like Oprah, isn't it? You get a story arc and you get a story arc. <laughs> Everyone gets a story arc. Playing Chase's mum, Janet Stein, is Eva Carradine. Yes, she's part of the Carradine acting dynasty, but we know her for playing Sheriff Jack Carter's younger sister, Lexi, in the science fiction series Eureka, as well as for appearances in The Handmaid's Tale. Yes, we can pause to acknowledge the nod and a wink to Mary Shelley's iconic classic in the name Victor Stein. And now we're done. I actually found a James Masters track. Now, not one from Once More We're Feeling from Buffy, uh, because although he does that there, he actually went on to become a bit of a singer and he had a band, uh, Ghost of a Robot, and he's done quite a few albums with that. So, you know, here he is singing. And the track actually is called Runaway. Now, that's not too surprising. I'm not quite sure of the timing of this one, but um, he actually is known for using some of the characters and alluding to them in his songs, because why wouldn't you? <laughs> no, so this is Runaway from an album called B-Sider, as in the B-side of a, a record, and it goes to the robot, and it does feature James Masters. So I thought that was pretty cool. This is Robin Williams, creator of The Science Show, and you're listening to Zero G on Triple R FM. Yeah, James Masters yeah. there with Runaway. Possibly, nice yeah, possibly linked to the Marvel's Runaways, but doesn't have <laughs> to be. But it is at least in its title. It goes to the robot B Sider was the album, as in the B side of an album, which is kind of a cute concept. So we've got Alex does have a complicated relationship with Nico. Now, Nico, she had a sister, Amy. We find out quite early that something very tragic happened to Amy, but there are some question marks around that as we start to become suspicious of everything that's going on. And this is where it also ties into Desperate Housewives because there is a deceased character in Desperate Housewives who features a lot during the show mm, and gets mm. to do voiceovers. Amy doesn't quite have that sort of presence in okay. this show, but she is definitely always there. You always They talk about her a lot. Events are linked to her. So you understand that she is a, another character in the group, but sadly long departed. Yeah. Nico, uh, as well as all the teens, have struggled with Amy's death, but Nico obviously has struggled quite a bit and she's isolated herself and she identifies as a Wiccan and so she also has quite a goth kind of style, I suppose, but she's pushed everyone away. She's clearly from the very beginning has some kind of magic energy and she can control some of the magical objects that are in this story. I don't know much more about the magic objects and what they do, but they're quite powerful, and she has the abilities to tap into that power. Well, I've already told you that they do link to the Darkhold. Oh, okay. So, you know, we're pulling out of that sort of particular area from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., partially mm. at least. Mm. These things mm -hmm. do change as they go through different shows. You know, we've actually seen Nico before. She appeared in a very small role in the first, well, the first MCU, Doctor Strange movie, portrayed by a different actress, but they decided that that was such a, a minor role that they could easily recast it for this television show. And she's actually a great character. She is an interesting mixture of vulnerability and extreme toughness, plus she's yeah. also an outsider. 
Yeah, I, I quite like her character. She's played by Lyrica Okano, is the mm. actress who plays Nico. Okano also voices Nico in Marvel's Midnight Suns tactical role-playing game too. And, oh, her parents, well, the mum, <laughs> Tina, <laughs> yes. piece of work, absolutely. So she's quite ruthless. She's the CEO of, like, a big tech company. And I think from what we gather, her and her husband have worked really hard from the ground up, from, like, startup level, and now they've made quite a lot of success. You know, it's taken a toll on their relationship. They're clearly in a very distant marriage. The dad's kind of floats around, but really it's it's Tina, the mum, who is in charge. Mm. And even from the start, she is, oh, yeah, nah, very, runs a very strict household. And I would, wouldn't be surprised if there was some unpleasantness in her past or that she's been <laughs> the evildoer of some evil deeds. Oh, uh, well. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Brittany Ishibashi plays Tina Minoru. Not surprisingly, given her martial arts prowess, Brittany has been in the film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, where she played Kari Shredder's 2IC, Pep's daughter. She's also appeared in Angel and Veronica Mars, Supernatural, Desperate Housewives, and you may know her as playing a character called Maggie in the Ghost Faces web series. We have James Yagashi playing Robert Minoru. Now, Robert seems to be slightly less evil, which I take personal affront at, than the other characters. But there's an interesting trope that they play into. They're all really good at martial arts. However, Mm. they're not supernaturally good at it they're just obviously all gone to the same classes as a family Mm. and i'll allow that in this case it doesn't feel quite like the asian trope if you have to be a computer hacker or a martial artist even though they are actually martial artists and they are good with tech (laughs) i want to see some cool butt kicking so i think in in this case yeah i mean i guess maybe there's some stereotypes like that alex's dad used to be in prison and in a gang i mean maybe there's some stuff that could be (laughs) a little more elevated move away from stereotypes but anyway the next family now this is a very interesting one so uh it's we've got carolina dean so played by virginia gardner gardner had a role in david gordon green's horror film halloween now she is the very start of the series she is quite religious she's part of the religion that her mother runs and has run it's been in the family for a couple of generations at least because her grandpa also was kind of head of that religion and i mean we've got some dark cultish vibes it's very much about light but it's clearly not about light so carolina when we start out she's very devoted She's very much in the church and following along with that, but it's not gone very well for her socially. So people kind of pick on her and she's a little bit of an outsider for that reason as well. And she's starting to realize a little bit more about who she is and if she can rebel because her mother, again, very overbearing. I would say slightly more nuanced than some of the other parents. Leslie Dean, Carolina's mother, played Mm. by Annie Wershing, is the head of the Church of Giborum and obviously a, a key member of the Pride. And the problem with her is that she is the head cheese, basically, and she is such a control freak, essentially. Yeah. And it is spooky and scary. 
Mm. And I think of all the characters in the show, possibly she has the biggest story arc. I'll let you know that. And a pretty good performance too. Now, Wersching, we do know her quite well. Been in a lot of genre shows like Enterprise, Charmed, Killer Instinct and Supernatural Angel as well. But she was most recently seen, under a lot of makeup to be sure, as the Borg Queen in Star Trek Picard. Leslie, she has a husband called Frank and he's played by Kip Pardu. And he's interesting. <laughs> he's actually an actor having a bit of problems with his acting career. And then he became one of the leaders of the church. <laughs> so. Yeah. I thought it was interesting when they introduced his character because from the start you kind of assume one thing and then you realise a bit more that, oh, he's not got much of an idea what's going on either. I thought that was pretty interesting actually. Yeah, so I'm kind of intrigued. I actually am not surprised when he says she's got a character out because I think – they're setting some seeds because she's obviously got a big role, like you mentioned, and she's got a lot of power and insight and she knows what's going on, I think. But, yeah, that whole church situation, her marriage, because I don't even think she doesn't even seem to like the guy. We will learn a bit more about that family, I think. So. Oh, we learn a lot and there are depths. <laughs> There okay, are okay. wheels within wheels. Carolina has powers that actually remind me a bit of Dagger from Cloak and Dagger. She's got light-based powers. Oh, okay. Yep, mm. yep. So, you know, this is all tied in with the cult and a deeper story, which I won't really go into because I think it might be a bit too spoilery there. Because Carolina is probably the sweetest of the people, but it's a spooky, scary sweetness because she comes from a cult, basically. Yeah, it seems like she's very sweet and it's naive, really. Mm. It's pretty slow going revealing some of these deeper secrets, like revealing what everyone's got going on. And I even had to kind of look up, do all these people have special ability? Because they're really slow to reveal. Some but do. Anyway. Some do, some don't. Some just have skills. Mm -mm. Yeah, you know, since we're chatting about Marvel's The Runaways TV show, how about we play a track from The Runaways, the signature all-women band? Cherie Curry, Lita Ford, Joan Jett and Sandy West, back in 1976. And since we're in Marvel space, let's drop a bit of the Cherry Bomb, which was used on the soundtrack of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. This is Ken McLeod, creator of the Fall Revolution series, and the Engines of Light trilogy. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. Cherry Bomb by the Runaways, as used on the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 soundtrack, but also on The Boys and Fear Street Part 2, amongst other tributes. Rob Jan and Megan McHugh back to yakking about Marvel's Runaways television series streaming on Disney+. Plus. All right, let's move on to Gert. Now, Gert <laughs> is played by Ariella Barra. Look, she starts out a little bit of a stereotype too. She's pretty firmly drawn like kind of social activist, feminist, a little bit overbearing, like obviously everything she's talking about, I think are all great things, but they've made her into be this kind of little bit of a pushy lefty character. I think they kind of settle that down a little bit. So she yes. also lives with Molly. So Molly is played by Allegra Acosta. Now Molly's younger than the rest and straight away we sort of get some hints about that because they talk a little bit about some changes she's going through. <laughs> a little bit like turning red. We're getting a bit of a sense of that kind of going through puberty as being a parallel to coming into powers or coming into strength. So Gert and Molly live together because Molly is an orphan. We learn that 
quite early on. And so she's gone to live with Gert and her parents. Now, Gert's parents, oh, they're a different kind of pieces of work. So they <laughs> seem a little bumbly at first. I'm like, what's up with these guys? They just seem to be into like protein bars and they're just a little bit cringy. Like they don't seem to stack up with all these other like high-powered, ruthless parents. But then, oh, couple of scenes in, you realize, I mean, they're scientists. Again, not all scientists are evil. They're working on some very interesting experiments, trying to pull together some very interesting serums, chemicals, medicines. I'm not even sure. Not always with the right motives. And we find out they've got a little more than just old quilts underneath the house in the basement, let's say. (laughs) Well, they have links to Molly's biological family, the Hernandezes. Molly's played by Allegra Acosta. Uh, Quite well played too. She has an interesting story arc in this show too. Molly's great. She comes into her own as a character and she has been sort of like neglected and pushed into the background and, you know, little sister type thing. And she's had enough of that basically. So yeah. in the grand tradition of Marvel superpowers becoming appropriately bestowed upon the right people, her, mm, her mm, particular mm. characteristic is super strength. So she's the muscle for the group. Yeah, and it's a nice little contrast because she is the younger, she's very sweet, just kind of, you know, figuring herself out and then you couple that with the changes <laughs> and the strength that she's kind of figuring out that she has. Bridget Branner plays Stacey Yorks and Kevin Weissman, who plays Dale mm. Yorks. Weissman is another one of those guys who's been in everything and also from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, played one of Glory's minions called Dreg in that family, the mum and the dad. They actually have evolutionary <laughs> character arcs as well. Mm. Yeah, so... Okay. In the third season, everybody gets to do a bit of changing up, I will okay. say. So that's when you get that actor's choice type thing, like when you get to do these extra bits on the roll, and they have a ball with that later on. Oh, that's good. I did like, because I was a bit worried about their motives for taking in Molly, but it seems like they did genuinely care for her parents. They did. Oh, and we should say that uh, Gert's power, and uh, I'm happy to spoil this. Sure. Let's uh, go for it. She has a telepathic link with a dinosaur. <laughs> Of course, because there's a dinosaur in this show, because it's just a casual little suburban drama about teens and their parents, but there's a dinosaur. Yeah, it's not Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur like a T-Rex. It is uh, Deinonychus. Mm -hmm. Now, you have seen many Deinonychuses before. You know them as Velociraptors because Steven Spielberg liked the idea of the Deinonychus, but he wasn't happy with the name. So... What you see in the Jurassic Park series are basically Deinonychus, mm. but called Velociraptor because, you know, raptor is cool. But this is definitely a Deinonychus, although people do mistake it for a Velociraptor. Of course. And it's in Los Angeles. I reckon you could get away with it because you could go, oh, making a short film. Mm. <laughs> That's our puppet. Yep. Animatronics, everyone. (laughs) And it is actually a puppet, partially. There is CGI in there as well. And very well realised, it comes across as being another character in the show. Mm, And mm, Gert mm. has a strengthening and deepening link with this dinosaur as she goes along. Although it's kind of like having a Ferrari and not taking it out of the garage. The dinosaur doesn't kill anybody with that terrible claw on its foot. (laughs) I'm thinking, if you're going to have one of those in your show... It's got to kill somebody along the way, you know. It's I know. Well, I mean, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> but the interesting thing about it is if you are into ships, 
or shipping. Mm. As a viewer, you'll get lots of that in this show. They thoroughly explore all of the relationships. Yes, relationship drama is the name of the game here, just as much as the action and the sci-fi stuff. I want to play <laughs> uh, two tracks here in quick succession, mm-hmm. um, and this is uh, Deinonychus. Because I thought the design, the dinosaur, whose name in the show is Old Lace. Yes, arsenic and old lace. Gert is a, a classic movie buff. I thought that this dinosaur deserves its own little song, which I found on a kid's album somewhere, and it's called Deinonychus, and it's by We Sing from the We Sing Dinosaurs album. So let's just chuff into that just briefly, because it's not a very long song, but I think it gives you a good idea of what the beast is about. This is Jack Dan, author of Bad Medicine for Zero G, the science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio show on 3 R FM. Okay, that was Deinonychus. <laughs> That's a track from We Sing Dinosaurs, just to give you an idea of what's going on there. Now, the second track I wanted to play to riff off Runaways is a track that is called Gert's Lullaby. As we were saying before, the the head honcho of the music compositions for this show is Siddhartha mm-hmm. Kostler, and so he's put this one together with Ariella Bearer. Oh, so Hart. she actually sang it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Hi, this is Corey Maccabee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. We had a track there from Marvel's Runaways, and that was Siddhartha Kostler, the composer, and Ariella Bearer, who plays Gert in the show, and that was Gert's lullaby. She, of course, is the one who has the telepathic link with the Deinonychus, known as Old Lace in the show. <laughs> so we've gone through all of the parental units mm-hmm. in this. There are two other characters we should mention because they are big bads, essentially. Mm-hmm. One is Julian McMahon. Ah, uh, yes, Cole from Charmed. Mm. But also Doctor Doom from the two fairly ill-fated Fantastic Four movies. Oh. Well, they have their problems. They're still watchable, though. Unlike fine. the third one. The third one was an affront to cinema. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, you've got Julian McMahon having a much better trot of being a villain here because he gets a whole series, basically, yeah. to okay. do it. He has his own particular secrets, which I won't tell you what they are. He has got linked to the church of Giborum, so mm-hmm. you know, expect mm-hmm. some pretty creepy stuff from him. And oh, he's obviously yeah. having a lot of fun. Yeah, and he's an unreliable narrator too, so don't trust a word he says, basically. Oh, I wouldn't. I would never. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually an Australian, so, yeah. you know, we've got a, a thing going there. He's, like, related to a former Prime Minister anyway. Mm. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> also, and this doesn't manifest until the third season, one of my favourite characters from all of fiction, one of my favourite villainesses, Morgan Le Fay. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Morgan Le Fay has been played by many people on screen before. We've mm-hmm. got Helen Moran in Excalibur, Ava Green in Camelot, the series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helena Bonham Carter in Merlin, the series, with Sam Neill, not the other one so you know there's been a lot of different people this time it's liz hurley oh 
Haven't seen her yet. That's fun. No, okay. and you won't She'd be for great. a while, but she's British, so, you know, it's got to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said, Desperate Housewives meets Buffy by way of any shared house teen story. I think OC and Gossip Girl, knowing that the creators have worked on those shows, there's definite similarities in how they treat the teen drama, the inclusion of the parents, and how they juggle those stories. So, yeah, your teen show crossed with suburban drama, crossed with, Marvel stuff. Do you know, it also reminds me a little bit about one of your favourite television shows, you know, the one about the plucky girl detective. Oh, Veronica Mars. Yeah. Ah, I can see that. I can see. I will say I think it's probably not as snappily written. No, um, no, it's not. But it's, it's, it's fairly standard enjoyable. Like I do think it's, for lack of a better term, I do think it's a very network TV comic adaptation. I think it's pretty safe. It's straight down the line kind of sci-fi fantasy elements and nothing gets too dark, nothing gets too edgy, nothing gets too pushing the envelope, which in terms of this show saying what it is and then meeting that brief very well, I respect that. I think it's engaging. It's easy to watch. I will say I wouldn't have minded if they start revealing a bit more of the abilities or kind of more of the secrets because I feel like at the moment I have more questions and I want a little payoff to keep me going. But I can see why this was quite an enjoyed series. It's a bit of a shame I'd not really heard of it. And it all does hang together mostly. It all makes Mm. sense as you begin to get into the wheels of the various layers of conspiracy and interactions between the characters, you sort of go, oh, yes, I see why that is like that. I see why. Yes. I'm still trying to figure out how particular members of the Pride were chosen, even in season Mm. three. But it all kind of works. You know, it's not just a coincidence. And as they said when they were pitching this, because we already exist with the MCU, we mm. already know there are people with superpowers. Mm. You know, we already know yeah. that there are other factors and other dimensions and so on. So we can just roll straight into that. Yeah, start from a common base level. They do address some of the issues of being homeless, mm-hmm. maybe perhaps a bit too briefly. I mm. would actually have liked to have seen them trying to cope with that for a bit longer before mm-hmm. they actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is essentially a very tropic sort of superhero lair. Yeah, gotcha. From what I've seen so far, they very nicely deploy flashback to add more backstory without overtaking too much of the plot and action and at the expense of driving things forward. I think from what I've seen, there's just enough flashback to give me more info without me being like, why are we doing a whole episode with them five years old? Like, I think from what I can tell, the pacing is pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Marvel's Runaways. You can catch up with it on Disney Plus because they've got all three seasons on there. If you've already watched Cloak and Dagger, rejoice because there is a Cloak and Dagger episode crossover that's in this. That would be the last time you see Cloak and Dagger unless they get transferred through to the MCU in some ginormous movie. But, you know, there is hope for that because we've seen the character of Jarvis from the Agent Carter series in Mm. one of the Avengers movies. We have seen Anson Mount playing Black Bolt appear Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. another major Marvel movie recently. So these things do get some transference. And, of course, all of the Netflix characters, many as we know of so far, 
are translating into Marvel TV mm. and, and the MCU regularly. Yeah. I think it's a shame that, like, shows like Cloak and Dagger, Runaways, even Inhumans and so on, didn't get much traction, I don't think. Inhumans is probably deserved. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know Cloak and Dagger was a bit of a, a hidden gem, and I think this too is a decent hidden gem as well. So, yeah. I keep saying that I'm not a big fan of teen drama, and then they throw in a good genre hook, and there I am, lolling. I I think they could have, sh- should have dumpster-dived deeper into the homeless aspect, which at times does look a bit like a bunch of rich kids' idea of what living on the streets is like, filtered through the fact that they still have resources and contacts to cushion it and superpowers and a dinosaur, for God's sake. Alongside that, the character relationships are well explored and intricate and the runaways are actually fun to spend time with and the villains are quite three-dimensionally rendered. I think that Julian McMahon redeems himself as a Marvel villain in the long-form television format and I can't wait to see Liz Hurley as Morgan Le Fay. And yeah, I'm going to squee when Cloak and Dagger show up too. This gets a, a yeah rating on the zero G yeah nah maybe scale from me, and it was hilarious seeing old lace being pushed around in a shopping trolley hidden under a blanket, which by the way I am totally assuming is Spike the bad boy vampire's beloved blankie from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know the one that he used to sneak around outside with in the full glare of Californian sunlight. Disney Plus for Runaways. Hmm. We've spent a lot of time on this show today, and I guess it's the, <laughs> the feature part of our show, really. So, anyway, uh, we will finish out the show today with a track from an Olivia Newton-John musical. Yes. Because I figured, you know, everybody else is doing that. And so, you know, she has a little bit of a genre track record. Mm -hmm. Xanadu Mm -hmm. is a fantasy musical. Yes. And I'm not going to play that. (laughs) Where's Zero G? What are we going to play instead? A track called Tomorrow. That's tomorrow with two O's. Tomorrow. Okay. So it's a 1970s British science fiction musical. Olivia Newton-John's first film, I think, at least the first feature, and it's directed by Val Guest. It was a total bomb, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just totally tanked and actually didn't get a proper release and all sorts of things went wrong with it. And Olivia Newton-John played a character called Olivia, very inventive there, but it it also starred Roy Dotrice, who you may remember if you've got a long memory as playing the, well, he's a veteran actor, but he played uh, Father in the Beauty and the Beast series. Yes, another George R.R. Martin-based series. It had Shakira Kane in it, who, as you would probably gather, was Michael Kane's wife. And Roy Marsden as well. Lots of actors from the 60s and 70s eras who appeared in Tomb Morrow. Now, it's a science fiction musical. Basically, it was a, a bunch of students, and there's quite a few little science fiction musicals from that kind of era. They had a pop band called Tomorrow, and they were using this funky new electronic musical instrument called a tonalizer. Mm-hmm. And the sonic vibrations from that called in extraterrestrials so they kidnapped of course so they kidnapped them to entertain their own population (laughs) you know it's a weird one there was a dvd release so you might be able to catch up with it but i thought you know olivia newton john 
science fiction musical. Let's go with it as our track today from Zero G. We should also mention that our next show will be smack bang in the middle of Radiothon for 2022. So it's a very important time of year for the station. So we can't wait to celebrate Radiothon and another year of doing our subscribe and donations drive. And there'll be the usual prizes and so on up for grabs as well. So you'll hear more about that when Radiothon kicks off, but please join us to celebrate this station and what it gives to the community and the community that it builds itself as well. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And Joe Brunetic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thanks to Alice Savage, our podcaster. Off we go with tomorrow being played today. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. <laughs>